This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Hey, it's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, March 23rd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. With Easter and Passover approaching, some families are starting to put together their summer travel plans. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, United Airlines has announced plans to start an air taxi service between the West Loop and O'Hare. We're joined by Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University in Chicago. Joe, thank you for joining us today. Now, United Airlines uh, previously has announced it was uh, getting into the uh, vertical takeoff and landing business with these uh, uh, small personalized aircraft, uh, part helicopter, part hovercraft, part flying car. Uh, Is that the equipment that will eventually uh, serve these routes from the medical district to O'Hare? Well, it's a step in that direction, and this is a big story. We knew United was exploring this, but we didn't know Chicago was necessarily going to get service this quick, you know, 2025. And these are the new kind of vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, which are you know, comparable to helicopters, but much more high-tech in the sense they can have bigger capacity and uh, uh, quieter takeoff and so forth. And uh, so they're going to launch, really, from the Vertiport, which is over in the medical district, to uh, O'Hare in 2025. And that's a kind of exciting new thing for our city. And uh, you know, since everything uh, has a past prologue a uh, long time ago, there used to be uh, helicopter services from Meg's Field near downtown Chicago that would whisk you above the traffic to either O'Hare and Midway. Uh, but those helicopters flew over established airlanes. Would these uh, VTOL vehicles just uh, zip over the Kennedy Expressway, frustrating motorists who are still uh, dealing with, the, uh, with that uh, reconstruction project that started this week? Yeah, that's right. I mean, helicopters, the big nemesis in New York has had this in a big way as noise complaints and out of the Wall Street teleport. They have to use a certain trajectory. And here they're going to probably, the good news about the uh, the Vertiport, which is a fairly new uh, development here in Chicago. When Meg's field closed, we lost a, a good helicopter location. The Vertiport uh, has been built. But you can go along the Burlington Northern Santa Fe tracks, which are quite wide, uh, for a good share of the takeoff, and that should mitigate, you know, some of the noise as well as the new technology. Uh, but you know, you do have presidential populations around there, so that's going to be tricky. Uh, uh, that said, you know, the Kennedy is going under construction. O'Hare has got some exciting things happening, so uh, you know, this uh, may be timed really nicely. Uh, $100 to $150 at rush hour, that is a fair comparable to the Uber black car service to and from O'Hare. But uh, unlike the Uber black car service, where you all got to deal with is uh, traffic, uh, this particular uh, helicopter service, the air taxi service, probably is not going to run on uh, windy or stormy days. Yeah, weather will not help, but the uh, the vertical takeoff, these are somewhat heavier vehicles. We're a little ways from the lake, which helps. 
So I think you'll see uh, cancellations be fairly rare. Uh, the price point is what's notable here because, you know, $100 uh, is a lot, but for somebody buying a, a first-class ticket to Europe or something, that's a, a very small component to the price. And the way these are set up often is security uh, time is minimal. Uh, you have ability to arrive five minutes before your departure. And by the fact you arrive right on uh, the airport uh, at the terminal, you know, you can cut it pretty close. So I think we're going to see some high-end business travelers uh, take, a, take a fancy to this because it's uh, we haven't seen this in the U.S. for quite a while except in New York. Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, we'll get some advice on the best ways to plan summer travel. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. As families prepare to gather for Passover and Easter celebrations, some are starting to think about summer travel. Here to offer some tips for making it go well is Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com, based in New York. And Joe, there's a very practical reason for uh, using Easter or Passover as a time to plan those big family summer trips. It's just simply you got everybody under one roof and possibly in one room. That's true. And this year, Ramadan as well, um, for the iftar or for the Eid. So basically, all the major religions will be sitting the families down in April. And April is the perfect time when families say, well, what are we going to do this summer? Or what are we going to do for the end of the year, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas or the New Year period? So it's the logical time when families sit down and start to plan. And the bad news, Bob, is there's going to be some real uh, budgeting issues if your goal is Europe this summer and fall. Yeah, I was going to say, is is the clock ticking as far as getting an advantageous airfare for a large group of people? I mean, even if you're talking about flights that leave in June and July? Absolutely, the clock is ticking. We're looking at prices that are perhaps one-third higher than they were last summer. Uh, this will be a shock to the system. Now, one way you can get around that, if your group is big enough, if you get 10 people, the airlines will negotiate with you as a group and you'll be able to shave some dollars off prices to virtually anywhere. But if you're less than 10, uh, it might be wise to sit down at that holiday dinner meal and start talking about what you really want to do for the rest of 2023. For those overseas trips to Europe or maybe Asia, is this simply a case of uh, the American traveling public uh, working out uh, that wanderlust from 2020 and 2021? Well, I think certainly in Europe it is. There are still people who have pent up travel. I, I don't think we ever expected that people said, well, I'm going to take my 2023 trip, but since I didn't take my 2020 trip, I'll take that one too. Um, we, we may have underestimated the pent up demand there. Asia is a little more problematic because they're still opening up. China, for example, is just now beginning to issue visas to foreign travelers again. Japan has been slow to open. So there, may, there is so little capacity to Asia compared to previous years that that's what's keeping the price up. In Europe, it's simply demand. Again, we're looking at perhaps 20% more seats available to travelers to Europe, yet the prices are booming because the demand is just so high. 
What about destinations in the United States? Uh, doing a couple of uh, fair searches last night, uh, there was competitive airline pricing on the big travel destinations, uh, Orlando, New York, the West Coast. Uh, are there still deals to be had in the U.S.? Well, there's always deals at, at certain off-peak times. Now, Orlando is troublesome in the summer because kids are off and people and, and kids who aren't really kids anymore take their summer vacation. So Orlando is a hot spot all summer. You know, you do a little better in the shoulder seasons when kids are back in school. The big urban destinations, you know, you will have high demand in summer. New York is, is booming again, even though business travel is down. Uh, Los Angeles, the same thing. Um, so you start looking at, at odd places that you might not have otherwise considered. And if you can get a nonstop flight there at a price you like, jump on it. Good news, everybody. We're going to Scranton, Pennsylvania for our summer vacation. Electric City, USA. And a, one, and a wonderful train museum. Yes, it is. No, I, I, I agree completely. We, uh, we stopped there uh, over the summer uh, last year went and, and discovered that uh, Scranton, uh, in addition to being the boyhood home of President Biden, uh, really leaning into their notoriety thanks to the American version of the office. So uh, I'm not putting down Scranton. And actually, it's kind of a fun place to spend a day. Right. But let's talk about Slough, which was the home of the British version of the office, perhaps not a place you want to be if you're going to London or the UK this summer. Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. It's it's too bad Rachel Pearson is not doing the show today. She is our uh, resident uh, office fanatic at WBBM. Coming up next, Ford has revealed its losses in the electric vehicle business. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Ford Motor Company says its electric vehicle business lost $2 billion last year, offset by a huge profit between its internal combustion and fleet businesses. Joining us with a look at what lies ahead for Ford is John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv in Detroit. John, thank you for joining us today. And it's not very often when you can describe a company that invented the assembly line and is one of the pivotal names in the history of automobiles. You describe it as a startup, but uh, that's what Ford is saying about its EV business. You're exactly right, Rob. <clears throat> what uh, CEO Jim Farley of Ford has said is he wants their electric car business to run as a like a startup. He's carved out a whole chunk of the company and set it aside and is uh, letting it have its own profit and loss reporting and that's why we know that it lost $2 billion last year and is probably going to lose $3 billion this year, Rob. And it's also changing the way uh, it basically reports its results. As you mentioned, it's uh, splitting up between the legacy business, the internal combustion engine business, and the EV side of the equation, as opposed to what it did before was when it, it reported regionally. Right, exactly. So it would report its earnings in Europe and North America and South America and China and whatever all separately. Now it's not going to do that. It's going to do it by the, the piston engine side of the business, the EV side of the business, and uh, the commercial vans and trucks that it's got. And does this mean uh, by by reporting in such a way and, and carving out the EV side of the, of the business that uh, Wall Street will be a little more understanding when you say, well, all of the losses are coming in this uh, innovative side of the business that will come around eventually? Yeah, I think that's it exactly. Look, Wall Street knows that EV startups lose money. Remember, 
Tesla lost money for a decade. It lost billions before it finally turned a profit. And now it's the most profitable car company in the world. And uh, so if you're losing money on your EV side of the business, you can show to Wall Street, hey, look, it's a startup. It's the same thing that Tesla went through. And I actually commend Ford for doing it this way. No other legacy automaker is doing it. And believe me, all the other, the General Motors, the Toyotas, the Mercedes Benzes, the rest of them, they're all losing money on their electric cars. Ford's the only one with the courage to put it on the book so everybody can read it that way. And clearly, uh, Ford is having some success with its EV models. I mean, the problem with the Ford Mach-E and with the F-150 Lightning seems to be they can't make them fast enough. That's exactly right, because they have something like 150,000 back orders of the electric F-150 and almost the same number for the electric Mustang. So, yeah, there's there's strong demand out there. Now they just got to get enough and chips to be able to make them and get those to the customer. John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv in Detroit. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead on this Technology Thursday, everything you need to know about using chat GPT and ways it can make you more creative. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Search efforts continue for a sailor from the naval station Great Lakes who's been missing since early Saturday morning. The CEO of TikTok appeared before a House committee today to address concerns about the social media platform. It's Technology Thursday. We'll get a lesson on using ChatGPT. Plus, Apple announces plans to draw more subscribers to its streaming service. WBBM Business. The markets are higher, but they're off their highs for the session. The Dow up 159. The Nasdaq is up 178. The S&P 500 is up 32. We have 39 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, 21-year-old sailor Seamus Gray has been missing since Saturday morning. Waukegan Deputy Police Chief Brian Mullen working to find him. We've had multiple drones out here searching uh, the area. Uh, we've canvassed the entire lakefront yesterday. We are going to recover those same search areas today to make sure that uh, we're not missing anything. Gray was last seen on surveillance video leaving a bar on Genesee Street in Waukegan, and he failed to return as scheduled to Naval Station Great Lakes. Waukegan police have released security video related to the case. You can see it on our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. TikTok's CEO, Sho Chen, faced tough questioning from lawmakers on Capitol Hill today who are convinced the short video app is a connection with the Chinese government through its parent company, ByteDance. In his opening statement, Mr. Chu tried to alleviate some of the concerns that lawmakers and others have. We spent a lot of time adopting measures to protect teenagers. Many of those measures are firsts for the social media industry. We, for, we forbid direct messaging for people under 16, and we have a 16-minute watch time by default 
for those under 18. The House Energy and Commerce Committee is looking into whether U.S. user data can be accessed by the Chinese government and into the protection of the content that young people can see. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are trading sharply higher. Joining us now with the latest in what's moving Wall Street is Gary Kultbaum, president of Kultbaum Capital Management based in Orlando. Gary, thank you for joining us today. And before we talk about the market activity this afternoon, let's talk about the CEO of uh, TikTok being called on the carpet on Capitol Hill, uh, discussing not only uh, uh, the the effect that the video app has on its users, but also uh, the national security implications. I mean, the, the larger 35,000-foot view on this is that uh, this is a situation with uh, a, a tech company. Uh, these are issues that uh, we've never really had to address before when it comes to uh, a a social media app and its effect not only on its users, but on national security. Yeah, and let's be clear. Capitol Hill does not believe the CEO. As simple as that. He can talk blue in the face. They don't believe a word he says. 150 million Americans are using it, and there is a worry about them spying and, and security and privacy. And the one thing the CEO did not say was that they didn't have any ability to spy and record things. So there's a lot to be desired out of it. And you basically have a situation where China just had the the balloon over us. China is uh, jailing people in Hong Kong who disagree with the government. So why would you believe? And, of course, they're going very, very uh, dictator-like and communist-like in China also. So why believe a word they said? And uh, I think maybe the uh, the beneficiaries you'll see will be Instagram and Snapchat because I, I think there's a chance here yeah, they're going to be goners. And now let's go to let's go to Wall Street. Uh, stocks have bounced back from yesterday's 500 point sell off. Uh, now that we have about 24 hours to kind of digest the comments made yesterday by Federal Reserve Chair uh, Jay Powell, uh, where are traders going with uh, the information that they learned yesterday? Uh, we have this uh, 25 basis point uh, rate hike once again, and uh, a couple of uh, comments from Powell about the banking crisis that suggests that uh, he didn't necessarily know where things were going. Yeah, and let's be clear, uh, and I've been saying this a thousand times in the last few weeks, uh, just watch the stock prices of the banks, and that'll tell you a lot, because I don't think anybody in government has a clue what's going on. Uh, They had no idea what was going on at Silicon Valley Bank, the First Republic. All we know is they keep telling us everything's A-OK while they backstop 18 trillion dollars of deposits by telling the banks will mark your securities at par even though you're losing a ton of money so uh call me unconvinced by anything coming out of powell and yellen's mouth and today i can tell you while the market's been strong but coming in guess what's weak again all the regional banks all the big banks and i will tell you nobody's talking about real estate Go look at some of the real estate investment trusts. I'll give you a couple of symbols, VNO and SLG. They're at multi-decade lows and pretty much crumbling. I think that could be another shoe to drop. I hate telling you this, but I deal in reality. And and once again, this is just a situation where uh, you have a lot of uh, banks and other institutions that uh, uh, bought a lot of treasuries at a certain interest rate, and now the interest rate has gone up by a lot, and uh, those treasuries uh, ain't worth what they used to be. 
Rob, Jay Powell forced every investor in income to go out very far to make pennies. I will tell you at the lows, the 10-year was paying six-tenths of 1%. So you had to go even further than that. The ability of all these central banks around the globe gave Austria the ability to do a 100-year bond at eight-tenths of 1%. And that bond's principal is down, I think, about 60% right now, meaning you've got to live 100 years to get your money out. That's what happens when you distort markets and take take rates down to nothing, and now you're seeing the repercussions of it, where people are just investing long-term in government bonds. What's wrong with that? And losing uh, a lot of money because how far interest rates have gone up and how swiftly they've gone up. Gary Kulpom, President Kulpom Capital Management, based in Orlando. Thank you for joining us today. Check him out online, GaryK.com. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, a 101 course on how to use chat GPT. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday on the Noon Business Hour. The use of the artificial intelligence technology in chat GPT has been trending since its introduction late last year, but there are some questions on how to use it. Joining us to give a better understanding of it is Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group, Professor of Advanced Media in Residence at the Newhouse School of Public Communication at Syracuse University. Thank you for joining us today, Shelley. And there have been a number of segments on this program and elsewhere talking about the uh, moral, ethical, and business implications of ChatGPT and its equivalents at uh, other big technology companies. But lost in all the discussion of uh, of of its applications is how it can actually work and how you can take advantage of it. So let's uh, backfill that the part of that particular discussion. So you've been hearing us talk about AI and chat GPT. And the question is for you, Shelley, is uh, how do you set it up? Well, it's, it's unbelievably simple. You go to chat.openai.com, C-H-A-T dot O-P-E-N-A-I.com, chat.openai.com. Dot com. And you either sign up or log in. You can sign up with a Google account or just, you know, give it your name, rank, and serial number. And you will see a box on the bottom of the screen. And into that box, you type anything you like. Now, uh, you can have a conversation with ChatGPT, hence the name ChatGPT. And you can speak uh, conversationally. Now, what would you do with it? You can, for example, say, write a recommendation letter for a friend to go to college, write and give it all the information that you'd want and it will write a letter. Do you want to summarize something so you can take, you can copy a couple of paragraphs uh, from something you've written or from the internet and say, please summarize the following and it will summarize it. Anything you ask it to do within its capability set that will increase your productivity or save you time, please, I, I'm, I'm giving a speech at a, bachelor party please give me three good uh, opening jokes that won't offend anybody <laughs> you can literally ask it anything you'd like and it's going to start giving you answers now the best way to do it is to describe the audience first and describe to chat gpt what it is acting as so you say you are an expert tech blogger your audience is senior executives at fortune 500 companies please write a 500 word blog post about blank then you're going to start getting really fine answers that are tuned towards your audience. And the best, best way, for some cases, maybe you still tell it what it is. You still tell it what the audience is. But then you say, please suggest 
how I might accomplish whatever I'm trying to accomplish. So you literally ask ChatGPT to tell you how to use it. And then the final is, did I forget to ask you any additional questions? Or is there anything else you need to know to help me get a better answer? And it will literally tell you how to talk to it. That's how you use ChatGPT. So if you are intimidated by writing or perhaps public speaking, uh, this can be a huge assist to you. Now, at the same time, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of uh, Bill Oakley, a uh, writer for The Simpsons. He asked ChatGPT to write a scene from a Simpsons episode uh, in the style of Bill Oakley. And Mm -hmm. ChatGPT came back with a full script with a scene between Principal Skinner and Superintendent Chalmers. And there was a character Mm -hmm. called the Beekeeper. And it it fit. It hit all the notes perfectly. But the one thing it did not have, and he noted that, was there were no jokes. It wrote the episode technically correct, but there were no jokes. So until the, until the chat GPT can develop a sense of humor, uh, there there is a role for a Harvard-trained comedy writer. There always will be a role for a Harvard-trained comedy writer. The bigger question is, did he ask it to write the jokes? Because if he didn't, it wouldn't know to do so necessarily. And here's the most important part about all of this. You need a decision matrix, and on the top of the decision matrix is high stakes, and on the bottom is low stakes, and that's just what it sounds like. Is this super important or not so important? And to one side is accuracy, and the other side is fluency. So do I need something that's inaccurate and fluent, like a birthday poem for my three-year-old granddaughter? You know, there's no, there's no skin in the game. If it, does, if it rhymes, you'll fix it, and if it has a word you don't like, you'll change it. Do you ask it questions about something high stakes, high accuracy, like an investment in a business you might make? The answer to that is maybe that's not the right tool for the task. This is not a one-size-fits-all solution. This is a productivity-enhancing word calculator that will help you craft words more quickly if you know what you want to craft. And lastly, you must bring a fair amount, in fact, a significant amount of subject matter expertise to ChatGPT. And if you don't, you get what you deserve. You cannot have this thing do for you work that you do not understand because it hallucinates and it makes stuff up. And unless you are very sure of the output, you are going to find yourself with substandard output or inaccurate output. You need to understand what you're asking and also narrow focus. And the last thing I will say on the subject is it is amazing when you add the input and ask it to operate on it. You take 20 rows and 20 columns of numbers and you put it in in, a, in the form of a CSV file, and you say, please uh, analyze these, this, this spreadsheet and suggest ways I might uh, learn something about my business from it, you, you're going to get really good insights from how it analyzes your numbers. If you say, go analyze the industry and tell me how to make a million bucks, you're going to get nonsense because it's not a question it can answer. So you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answers every time. Shelley Palmer, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still to come, Apple announcing plans for using theaters to market its streaming service. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Apple is planning to spend a billion dollars a year to produce movies that will be released in theaters as part of an ambitious effort to raise its profile in Hollywood and lure subscribers to its streaming service. We welcome in Paul DeGarabedian, senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore based in Los Angeles. Paul, I said screaming service, which could be the case that they release a horror movie around uh, Halloween, but uh, Apple TV is in fact a streaming service, and uh, this is a, a way of uh, improving its uh, movies, its movie ecosystem. Uh, first off, this Definitely. has got to be a, a big boon to the theater industry. 
This is a huge deal, and I think it totally validates the idea that the movie theater is here to stay. I repeat, the movie theater is here to stay. It's proven itself through the pandemic to be uh, a pastime that will not go away. The disruption that the pandemic created shuttered a lot of theaters, almost all of them back in 2020, but now the movie industry is back in a big way. And I think Apple and other streaming services are recognizing the revenue generating potential, but even more than that, the ability to impact the culture and movies that play in theaters just have a bigger, they create just that bigger impact, I think, on people and people love leaving the home and going out to the theater bottom line and in the old days uh, a big hit movie would uh, spend some time in the theater and then maybe six months later it was out on vhs and then a year after That's that right. it would hit hbo and now at least if uh, apple's vision is realized it's no longer make it a blockbuster night it's uh, make it an apple tv night if you miss it in the theater yeah that's really interesting it has changed since the days of VHS and the whole release pattern has changed windows, meaning the time between when a film is released in theaters, then available at home, those have become dynamic rather than static. And I think that's a good thing. And uh, I think for Apple, I mean, they have obviously the resources to invest in the talent and creatives that can put these types of great movies together. I mean, they have Scorsese's killers of the flower moon, Ridley Scott's Napoleon a spy thriller Argyle that is uh, reportedly on the schedule for Apple. So this is great news. I think the the stocks, the cinema stocks are going to see a boost. Cinemark, AMC, IMAX, I think they're all seeing a boost from this news because it just shows that if if a huge company like Apple and other streamers are in the business of putting movies in theaters, that's great for the audience. It's great for theaters, great for studios and great for talent. Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore in Los Angeles. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone. Whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. 
The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.